service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> ben Harrison. You seem a little wrung out, Adam. Are you having a week? I have four days to put into a one-day bag. <laughs> got a lot going on today. Oh, man. You should have spoken up. We could have canceled this. We don't have to record this dumb podcast. Like, as soon as the show is over, I'm throwing down my cans and I'm just tearing out of the driveway. Oh, wow. It's that kind of thing. Well, we both needed to start a little earlier than anticipated. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're getting it done. Yeah. Being productive. That's satisfying, right? <laughs> Going through all of the little tick lists on the, the to-do. Adam... <laughs> I was out at a birthday dinner for a, a, a family member last night. We were driving home. Did you go to Family Mexican Restaurant? You know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They were like, there was actually like some discussion of that last night where they were trying to remember very momentous birthdays in uh, various family members' lives. Uh-huh. And they were like all blurring together for them because they'd all been celebrated at the same restaurant. <laughs> Did you tell any of them the story of our of our uh, friend of the podcast, Phil, who thought for a while that uh, your wife's family owned a family Mexican restaurant? <laughs> Such was their interest in going to family Mexican restaurants as yeah. often as they do. I think she refers to it as her restaurant. So yeah, it, it was Hence a fair mis- misunderstanding for him to have. Yeah, did that delight your family? I have not told her that yet. I, I need to. I'll tell her that today. That'll kill. We're driving home, and I said, I, I guess, I don't know. Maybe we were talking about the tour or something, but I said something about how I had to record the episode today, and my wife lights me up and starts doing an impression of me doing this podcast. What? She's not given to doing bits, Adam. <laughs> I, I don't think very, I've ever heard her do an impression. She's a very funny lady, but do it like like dragging me in the medium of doing an impression of me is not is not her way. She had me rolling. Wow! So it was a good impression. Do you want to hear some examples? Yeah. Her, her impression is very is a very specific construction, and she just did this over and over again for like. She gave me she gave me five solid minutes of. Hey, Adam, you want to talk about Jim Shimoda? Hey, Adam, you want to go to the hardware store? Hey, Adam, what's the deal with Kevin? Hey, Adam, RSVP Spock. Hey, Adam, let's talk about the entrepreneur. And she had just a zillion specifics like that. You know, I can understand her being a little bristly about it, given that like half of the examples you gave were jokes that your wife inadvertently came up with. (laughs) A lot of this show originates with her. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was uh, it was really something else. My wife ignores the show's existence in a hostile way. Like she doesn't she doesn't come at it directly the way your wife does in yeah. making fun of it. It is just uh, silently judged. Yeah, I think, and that, and that hurts more. I think. I think I'd rather be made fun of directly. Yeah. Well, I th- your wife has definitely made fun of you. 
while I was around for it. Oh, yeah. She um, loves it. <laughs> I think that the difference is my wife listens to Friendly Fire and enjoys it. Right. That's yeah. not a Rubicon your wife is willing to cross. There is not a podcast I could make that would uh, <laughs> entice my wife to listen. The Adam Loves His Wife Fun Time Happy Hour? Yeah. Yeah, the private podcast that's just created for her, she wouldn't listen to that. She's the only person that even has the RSS feed. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's called Not So Bad, <laughs> hosted by Adam Pranica. <laughs> I was just... I was blown away mostly because she has never listened to the show and yet she's heard enough of it that she had a lot of specifics to throw in my face. Yeah, that's surprising. <laughs> hmm. It was really, it, it was, it, it was interesting. I, I How was, did it go when you made fun of her and did an impression of her, Ben? <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe I did. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but she's hmm. like a real, she's a real grown up with a real job, so. Yeah, nothing to make fun There's of nothing there. nothing to make fun of. <laughs> wow. Well, Ben's wife, I know you're not listening, so uh, <laughs> you won't hear me say, stop making fun of my friend Ben. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> hey, that's my wife you're talking about. I'm just trying to make podcasts with my friends. <laughs> it's fun to do bad things. Uh, well, gee, what kind of tone does that start us off on, Ben? The dark tone or the light tone? Oh, interesting. Maybe a, maybe the, a little bit of both. It's a chiaroscuro. Yeah. The little bit of both. <laughs> sure is. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think that's what we get in today's episode, too. Let's go ahead and talk about season five, episode 11. The darkness and the light. <laughs> This is the first Brian Fuller story credited episode, Ben. I noticed that. I wondered how long he'd been in the room. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're about halfway into season five at this point. Right. Is he, has he been in the room the whole time or did he get hired mid-season? I don't know. It seems like last episode was like a fairly momentous app and like maybe like they come back from the Christmas break and they they kick into high gear or, or something mm. I don't know Brian Fuller goes into Ira Stephen Bear's office comes out like covered in blue paint <laughs> <laughs> this well is a, I have to I'm talk to somebody now. in the HR department <laughs> <laughs> the, the bad news is whatever happened in there the good news is I'm getting story credit for the darkness and the light Iris Stephen Bear has two buttons under his desk, <laughs> one that locks the door and one that dumps a bucket of blue paint. <laughs> <laughs> so fucked up. Uh, yeah. Speaking of getting blasted at him, <laughs> yeah, there's some the Vedics atoning for some sins and they get blasted or specifically one of them gets blasted across the room. Get the feeling that one of the most rare ways to die is during a freak praying accident. <laughs> that happens here. Yeah, certainly does. This is some kind of uh, Vedic retreat or whatever, and uh, and yeah, this guy, this guy gets knocked across the room. It sort of looks like the candle is is shooting him. Yeah, 
we don't really get to see what what the source is, but uh, what do you think? That's like a that's like a billion candle power. <laughs> it's a great wire stunt, right? Yeah, like he yeah, really he really gets rocked. I like that. I like seeing a jerk cable. Yeah, this news reaches uh, Major Kira on uh, on Deep Space Nine in the infirmary. She's uh, she's there for one of her prenatal checkups. Bashir is scolding her for not taking some herbs that he told her to take. Julian, those herbs taste like something that crawled out of Quark's ear. Just take them. All right. They counteract some drug that she that he also gave her that's supposed to help her get to sleep. And she's she's been having a tough time catching shut-eye. She's been scolded back into taking these herbs. And uh, Odo walks in and says, hey, listen, uh, you know this Vedic. He dead. <laughs> They speculate as to why, because uh, he's a man that's had kind of a violent past, but he got religion yeah, he and, was uh, and a put part all that of, behind him. He was a part of the Shakar resistance cell with Kira. Yeah. Yeah, so he's been peaceful ever since, and so it's sort of hard to understand at this point in time why he would be a target for murder. Right. Uh, but... Uh, Pretty hot on the heels of this, uh, it becomes clear that this is a like Zodiac type killer because Kira gets uh, gets email from an unknown source that identifies the, this Vedic as being uh, the first one. Kira winner. Or I guess that's one, right? Right. I mean, you can you can interpret that as being he was the first. He was the first of several. That's that's the message on her voicemail box, right? It's like someone being like, uh, "That's one." I mean, the first one that I do <laughs> of of like probably more. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, this is going to be a series, <laughs> a series of dead people that I, I I should start this over. I should keep it simpler. I should just say just one, right? Oh, is this one of those answering machines where you can push a button to erase the message and start over? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what should be happening here but instead uh it's uh it's far more dark maybe the darkest part of this moment is the idea that uh that in the 24th century future a robocall is possible and this is probably a circumstance when you get off of work at the station you're probably listening to a lot of bullshit messages yeah this is very troubling and yeah. uh and yeah, they don't know where it came from. So uh, so the mystery, Adam, is afoot. The thinking by Odo, Sisko, and Kira is that all of the old Shikar resistance cell fighters could be in danger. This is what they infer from that's one. Yeah, but I thought it was so weird that they discussed that and discussed specifically that it is the Shikar resistance cell and never discuss the fact that the head of state for Bajor, Shakar, is one of those people. <laughs> exactly. At the same time, I was like, cool, we're going to get a Shakar episode. <laughs> Wonder what that guy's up to. You're wrong. <laughs> and you're dumb for thinking that. Yeah, idiot. So stupid. Later in the uh, replimat, O'Brien sits down with Kira. Kira's looking like someone preoccupied with the with issues like why Shakar isn't in this episode. Right. He's concerned about her. I feel like O'Brien as a man 
that we haven't really seen too much of lately. He's, uh, he's concerned about Kira, asks how she's doing. Kira is pissed at how Latham Mabrin went out. Yeah. It's just not right. And nobody going to jail. That's some bullshit. Ain't that some bullshit. Now Ryan is here, and, and this is a bit of a pattern that he's established for the last several episodes, the, that, uh, that he's here to be patriarchy man and treat Kira like she is less important than his unborn child that's inside her. Yeah, not a great look. Don't like it. You get the sense that they don't talk much when they're at home together, right? given that they're having this conversation in the replomat. Yeah, and she's saying like, she's she's giving voice to like a very a very like intense conflict in her that she identifies as a soldier as a as a major in the militia and as a a capable person who is willing and able to violently counteract her enemies and here she is at uh you know at late term pregnancy and that has completely hamstrung her it's not something she ever asked for and she f- feels like her friends are in danger. She wants to go defend them, and she can't. I'm glad she's giving voice to this, because for the entire season, we've been kind of made to forget this. She's been waddling around the promenade, uh, pregnant and barefoot, and being condescended to by the O'Briens. And you forget that she's a soldier after a, a certain amount of time. And right. she's like, no, don't ever forget that. Right. I really love that the that becomes part of the central uh the central motivation in what she does in this episode because it makes it a very strong episode for Kira, I think. Their conversation gets interrupted by Odo, who gets on the intercom saying, Kira, there's a call for you on line one. Kira, call for you on line one. Please pick up the white courtesy telephone, Major. <laughs> So she uh, she hops up to Ops, and uh, it's a call from Fala, who is terrified. She's she's paranoid about about people listening in to the to the FaceTime. They're they're like trying to trace the call and figure out where Fala is, and Fala is like somebody's trying to trace this call. Yeah, Kira's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you're not paranoid. That's really happening. <laughs> so Kira convinces the peeps at ops that she can take this this one in private uh it's not a problem right there's nothing for them to worry about and so she talks to she's like fulla is not a dangerous person so she she has this conversation in private and it's fulla saying i'm super worried somebody's trying to trying to kill me and uh she says okay well uh my my crewmates Worf and dax are actually uh, heading back to the station from a conference and barring them being abducted or body snatched, I'm going to have them stop at Bajor and pick you up so that you can be here close to me and, and we can protect you. Boy, uh, Dax really went back to another planet with Worf quickly after the whole incident on, uh, <laughs> on Risa, on right? Yeah. And they kind of patched things up. Worf saw the folly of his ways. All he does is ruin vacations and conferences from now on. Does Dax's hair change concurrently with the with the uniform change? 
Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Or did her hair change before that? One thing I noticed about the uniform change is that they really gave Dax a form-fitting one. It almost looks like it's it's been corsetized around her midsection. The gentlemen get uh, decidedly dumpy uniforms, and and Dax's is uh, quite figure-revealing. One unifying costume theory about them all, though, is that they don't look comfortable. They just look too thick. They do look pretty thick. I like thick. Uniform thick. <laughs> we should release a thick t-shirt as a <laughs> as a commemoration of this. That would be wildly unpopular. <laughs> also, probably they we would ask for that and they would say, sorry, we can't do that. So K- Kira promises Fala that Worf and Dax will scoop her up, bring her to Deep Space Nine, and all will be well. But what she does not anticipate is that the runabout that Worf and Dax are on uh, has a transporter that is set to extra crispy (laughs) because they start to beam Fala up and she starts to convulse and they are uh, punching buttons with rapidity. And what materializes on the platform is a smoking mess of hair and burnt clothes and skin. The beaming does not go well. (laughs) Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. She does I love the I love the the like two different like it's it's Bashir and another medical person doing tricorder on this pile of bones and, and ash. And they're like, sorry, I don't think there's anything we can do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's she's gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think CPR is gonna help. <laughs> I mean, you could try. <laughs> Falah dies in a smoking heap. It's a little more gore than we've seen on Deep Space Nine lately. Yeah, it is a... Lean into it. It is a remic amount of gore. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't know if this is a Michael Dorn thing or a Worf thing, but he does not sell the urgency of the situation very well uh, (laughs) during this beam-up, I think. Uh, If you look at what his hands are doing at his station... Uh, I think, I think you gotta you gotta be punching buttons a little harder there. <laughs> really, really sell the concern, Worf. Because I'm like, not feeling it. He's like, this is actually like a pretty honorable death, so I'm not gonna do too much to intervene. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like that's isn't it the most honorable death I can think of? But I wouldn't want somebody to intervene if this was me. So there's something about the pain aspect of Fala's death that probably really speaks to Worf. Yeah, he's into it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Kira has a pretty heavy moment where she processes the death of this lady and she she approaches the corpse and hits triangle to pick up the earring <laughs> <laughs> she loots the corpse and the earring is worth like 20 cents oh yeah yeah she goes she goes to a a merchant when she gets back uh, to the town and sells she's it. gotta go to a fence yeah she's got a she's she's got thousands of these things but she's finally got enough to get the next best sword right <laughs> <laughs> The, as soon as she picks up the earring, like there's a, a red Bajoran logo that flashes on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so she tells a little story about Fala because they're, they're like, what the hell? She wasn't in Shakar Resistance Cell. Like, we know who was in that, and we've never heard her name. And she says, well, not as such, but she was kind of our our number one uh, spy. She she was a, a, a maid. Like, this is kind of like a... Uh, a Dreyfus Affair style 
spy thing where she was a maid in a some Cardassian's office. She cleaned the floors and she would, uh, you know, be treated like the help, like she was not even there. And she would pick up little tidbits of information and pass them on to the resistance cell. And uh, in so doing, uh, did her part for God and country to further the cause of the Bajoran resistance. And the, the Cardassians are dumb because you need to vet your cleaning crews, maybe with more scrutiny than anyone else, right? Sure. But they're I mean, taking out your trash. They're 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 shredding your documents. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cardassians looked at what like the monthly cost would be to retain the services of Iron Mountain, and it just <laughs> seemed a little prohibitive. So. <laughs> They decided not to do it, and that was that was their downfall. They'd probably still be occupying Bajor to this day if they'd uh, if they'd been a little bit more radical about their security procedures. You think anyone lives on Iron Mountain? <laughs> no, they, it's impossible to live there because you get you get cut both in the vertical and the horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> that thing can process everything up to big size paper clips. Right. Yeah. But not food waste, Adam. Do not put food waste in the Iron Mountain box. It's not what Iron Mountain is for. No. Goldicott. 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 So. Later on, Kira is walking on the promenade and, and she hears the same voice from before. She hears answering machine voice and it's coming from Quarks. Yeah. This is just a subtle Quark is always spying on everybody. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I was just uh, accidentally hacked into your email and I opened it. Meanwhile, uh, they, they continue to stunt cast Armin Shimmerman, putting him through the grueling hours of in the makeup chair to give him his one scene in a Deep Space Nine episode. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they, he's gotten a couple of new costumes lately, too. Yeah. It's weird how they give... All the Starfleet's new costumes, and Kira has a new Bajoran militia costume, but nobody else in the Bajoran militia has a new costume. It's like she has like a special one-off uniform that only she ever gets. Yeah, what gives? I don't understand that. Uh, That's not good costuming. No. Like, I like the costume, but I don't think it's good costuming, uh, like, that they didn't do it for everyone. Yeah. She hears the voice say, that's two. And it's coming from a pad that Quark got out of a, a case of wine yeah. or something. It seems clear that he attempted to keep the pad for himself. Right. Knowing that it was meant for Kira, but Kira snatches it out of out of Quark's hand in horror because that's too can only mean one thing. Someone else is dead. That's Fala, right? She's she's number two. Yeah. It's it's mocking. Yeah. So Kira takes the pad into Odo's office and Odo speculates that the killer is someone who may have been injured by the Shikar resistance, yeah. by one of the many Shikar resistance attacks. And then like- And she's as, the only one getting these messages too. So it, yeah. this is clearly about somebody that has an ax to grind with the Shikar resistance generally and her specifically. Right. But they don't get very far along in the conversation before the screens in Odo's office go crazy. Uh, there's three- plays out of the speakers, and then a picture of Mobara appears. Ah, ah, ah. You didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. Kira is irate because because this is just being, like, it's teasing her, this mm-hmm. entire thing. It's making her feel crazy. Well, and it's also just, like, really awful security, Odo, that you don't have control over the computers in your own office. Right. 
Right. He gets a bunch of pop-up screens with pictures of Mobara. It's yeah. not a good look. <laughs> uh, what Odo does do is issue her an escort. Uh, this is a lieutenant that walks her back to Casa de O'Brien. Right. Uh, where once she goes into her bedroom, uh, she hears a bump from outside. Yeah. And uh, there's a pretty fun scene where she's sneaking around with a pistol in the dark. I think it goes to commercial and then comes back from commercial in the midst of this scene. Like, uh, like that is the level of tension we're dealing with here. And, uh, and when she gets the lights on, uh, her, her security detachment is, uh, you know, has like a boot on his neck and Pharrell and Lupaza, the Shakar resistance people from the, uh, the Shakar episode, are uh, are the people that have have gotten the drop on him? I love these guys. Yeah, they're back. Au revoir, Simone. Au revoir, Pee Wee. Pretty awesome. Everyone I know has a big butt. Recognize those boobs anywhere? <laughs> uh, yeah. Almost an incident of friendly fire, though. Right? Ben? Yeah, that would be terrible. Can't have that. One thing I noticed about Pharrell There's, is that Adam, uh, is there anything worse? Than friendly fire? I don't know. <laughs> maybe the greatest discovery? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. One thing I noticed about Pharrell is that he lets his chain hang long. Oh, He's going to get that thing caught in a machine, Ben. Oh, yeah. I don't understand the decision. If you're a resistance fighter, I think you got to keep it tight. <laughs> what, do, what do you think the, the etiquette is surrounding getting like an MRI on Pajor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah. Uh, if you if you work in a scrap metal yard, you're definitely not using one of those giant magnets, right? <laughs> you're, you're using the scooper. Yeah, it is really nice to see these guys. Yeah, and you feel safer with them around, right? Like they feel like a like they're as badass as anybody, and they're gonna they're gonna see to it that this is uh, that this is dealt with, and it's good that they are here working with Kira on solving this problem. It's the tension leaves, right? Like like they're like laughing with each other the second they recognize each other. Well that's kind of magical, isn't it? Because they've just kicked the ass of Lieutenant Brilgar <laughs> who like comes to rubbing his head and his neck. And they're like, oh yeah, you can go back outside and keep guarding us. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the tone of this this scene is great. And crazy and unlikely for that reason, right? But it's but it's the strength of Lupaza and Pharrell that that make it possible. Yeah, and and the fact that they're familiar faces and that they're also really good actors. Yeah, really sells this. Yeah, they make the case that waiting for the authorities is not going to make Kira feel any better, and it would be best if Lupaza and Pharrell were when it's time. The ones to do the deed yeah. to uh, to get this person whenever they find them. So they're going to stick around. Waiting for the authorities is not their way. Yeah, as as avowed resistance fighters, they uh, they're not going to uh, they're not going to leave this to a bureaucracy to solve. It's like being a marine, right? Once a vigilante, always a vigilante. <laughs> There is, at the very end of this scene, I want to call attention to what I am going to call a bad edit. Mm. Uh, O'Brien comes home. Uh, Lupaza and Pharrell point their weapons at him. And then we cut to Kira saying, hold it, it's all right. And 
This is, uh, I think you've heard, if you're a viewer out there who has an interest in video production, you might have heard us refer to things like uh, J-cuts or L-cuts. And I think this is a straight cut that should have been a J because the moment we cut from O'Brien to Kira's dialogue is long enough that it it destroys the tension of that moment. And I think if that's a J cut and you hear Kira's dialogue before cutting to her, I think that's how the scene should have been edited. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a tricky edit, but they didn't nail it because it also lingers on O'Brien's face for too long. Right. To get his react, but you don't know if Lupaza and Pharrell are answering all stop, you know? Yeah, it's shot as if O'Brien's safe the whole time, and if you're if what you want to do is make it uh, a pos- and like another friendly fire possibility, like that's got to be cut faster. Right. Yeah, you need to you need to take that across the finish line with a lot of abandon and right. Boy, that's a tough thing with TV too, because you can't count on people being as wrapped in their attention as they are in a in a film. You know. Yeah. Like, people watching TV are doing other shit a lot of the time. Yeah. So. It makes me wonder if they did try it that way and it didn't, and it clanged for some reason. Like, right. to see to see real stress doubled versus real stress and then relieved tension later, it just might have played better tonally. I wonder if they didn't get the coverage right because there's... This scene plays out in a double on Pharrell and Lupaza that then pans over to a single on O'Brien, mm-hmm. cuts to a single on Kira, cuts back to the single on O'Brien, and then cuts to the double on Lupaza and Pharrell. Like, it's three tight shots, mm-hmm. and it's a little jumpy, too, because, like, when you see O'Brien and then cuts to Kira, like, they're the same size in the frame. There's no There's no establishing that they can go to. Uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I almost feel like when you go to O'Brien, you need to cut back to a, a three shot. Right, like a wide of the whole space of Kira going like, don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And then you'd get the whole, the timing of everything. Yeah. And then you could go back to a close up of either O'Brien or or Lupaza and Pharrell like like. I think relaxing. that is a great observation by you. I think this was coverage dictating how the scene cut together. Yeah. And surprising that you wouldn't get an establishing, but maybe, you know, like television production is really hard and you don't always have time to get everything yeah. you want. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. So Mabara is confirmed dead. They found his body with a, or what? what is left of it, uh, it looks a like a headless body, probably. Yeah, they uh, some somebody implanted an explosive behind his ear, and it went off. That is a, fucked up. An explosive nubbin, Ben. Fuck. Ouch. <laughs> Not a nice way to go out. Odo and Cisco agree that Kira will be the final target, and all of this is meant for her to witness. Pretty dark thought. Yeah, and uh, and you know it's. They're pretty sure it's somebody that has uh, an axe to grind, and Odo is saying, like, this is somebody who takes this super personally and is trying to make a point. 
specifically to Major Kira. It's a new behavior to sort by. So she's in a lot of danger. At Ops, they're trying to solve the mystery of where these messages have come from. And yeah. it's Dax and Nog working this problem, uh, along with Kira, who is who is observing them from behind. Nog is surprisingly uh, helpful. Yeah, his it? giant ears come in super handy. He has a, he has an a, an ability to detect subtle things about sound that uh, made me think of like the way you know dogs' sense of smell is is described as being you know incredibly finely tuned and subtle. Yeah, I think the scene is great because they slow drip the tension out in such a way that that you start locking pieces into place and once the final piece clicks in it is the knowledge that it's been kira's own voice that has been used against her it was her being processed to sound like a computer man can i hear the rest of the words and then as soon as they realize this an explosion has gone off in casa de o'brien right and Everything goes crazy from here to the end of the episode. Kira goes into total rage mode, and she kicks a ton of ass on her way to the O'Briens. <laughs> she, she like, punches out, like, five guys on the way. Like, like there are security guys, like, going to get their hands around her neck. They are trying to stop her from opening the door and venting <laughs> the whole compartment into space. She she's basically like on a DS9 speed run after grabbing a star in Mario Brothers. Like she's just <laughs> straight up running through people. It's great. Yeah, but uh, you know, we all know that that star runs out eventually and you don't want to yeah. be touching a Koopa Troopa when it when it happens. Kira yeah. passes out and uh, she wakes up in the infirmary with Dr. Bashir uh, leaning over her and uh, she's quite worried at first about the baby uh he, he explains that she had some hemorrhaging and uh he's been able to repair the damage but she needs to not you know stress herself like that i really like how this scene is shot it makes the infirmary look like a totally different place than what we've seen before yeah. and i love the way it's lit especially i think that's the reason it looks the way it does it makes the case for this being kind of after hours or something like that. But she's definitely been given a, you know, a, a bio bed that's out kind of by itself. This is a scene where Nana Visitor delivers an audition monologue. Yeah. And it is a oneer that pushes all the way in on her uh, for the duration. Yeah. This is what you do when you have an Nana Visitor. Right. You can let her be very small in the frame and still quite captivating. And she will keep the scene compelling all the way through to getting really tight on her and Odo. And uh, the tear running down her cheek onto the bed and then running down the bed, I thought was like <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's nuts. She's, I mean, she has such control of her body. She always has as a great actor does, but, but like the ability to squeeze tears out in a strategic manner is like, <laughs> like, <laughs> It's so next level. Yeah. <laughs> and Lupaza and Pharrell are dead. And she's talking about what they meant to her and what being a resistance fighter meant to her and where where her her tenacity came from, like what what made her who she is. And yeah. this is 
her talking about her first raid. And it's really incredible. Yeah, this feels like a monologue that could be used for auditions. There's a lot going on. I feel like you would unfairly bias the uh, the casting director against yourself if you started talking about Cardassians. <laughs> it's a very specific casting director that would appreciate this. But, <laughs> but fuck, like, here, I opened up the script for this episode and I scrolled to this part and this is... This is one and a half pages wow. of straight dialogue for Nana Visitor. And she's got it memorized. Yeah. Because, of, of course, she's a fucking pro. But, like, all the nuance that she brings to it, all of the emotion that's there, the the stages of emotion, even. Because, you know, it starts kind of neutral. And then at times it even gets not joyful but there's like they win a battle and there's joy there but then there's sadness and then there's the idea of at the end being invited into the resistance a thing she's always wanted to be and yeah it's it's really really well done it's well written and it's well delivered there, like being an actor is, is very tempting to a lot of people just because it's like fun to imagine being on tv the reason that somebody like nana visitor is great is that she's willing to go to a place that is terribly uncomfortable to sell a scene like this and it's like the reason like when i see a scene like this i'm like oh thank goodness i don't want to be an actor (laughs) yeah like does it still sound fun person who with an interest in acting because this is what it takes to be great like 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 this is like she is living the pain of what she's talking about in this scene yeah the idea that Kira's earring came from that mission and Lopeza was the one who made it is a really nice, really nice piece of backstory. Like it, it has great significance. We keep hearing about hunter probes in this episode. This is yeah, what... a Kula class hunter killer probes, Ben. Con <laughs> Sonon, you contact bearing zero nine seven. That's what got uh, that Vedic at the beginning. That's what got Lupaza and Feral in the O'Brien's quarters. These hunter probes are everywhere. Yeah, kind of shocking how easily they can be obtained and utilized. And and how like defenseless they seem to be against them right like this thing was like stuck to the hull of some ship that happened to dock at the station and then like went around the station looking in windows until it found who it wanted to kill yeah i mean you need to suspend some disbelief here when the story gets retold because the idea of a probe cruising around windows looking in and identifying who's inside yeah. For as long as it would have to do so in order to complete its mission. I mean, what is what's the sensor situation on Deep Space Nine? Why wasn't this thing picked up? I mean, you'd need like a Paul Atreides to be able to stop a, a hunter probe, probably. Right. He would catch that shit. There are and then 25... the Fremen would love him. You saved my life and we Fremen pay our debts. Yeah. He's got Fremens in low places. <laughs> 25 people are on Odo's list of suspects at this point, and he's not going to give those names to Kira. He knows that if he were to do so, it would activate her 
vigilante nature. She would go. Uh, she would go kill all twenty five just to be safe. Odo, Odo, and her kind of like sit in that moment of of mutual recognition. Like, yeah, <laughs> can't do that. And Kira's like, <laughs> nope. And then Odo's like, <laughs> yeah, I would, right. I would definitely kill all those people. Yeah, yeah. And he walks out, and then she walks over to a computer, site to site transports to his office gets the list and then transports out of his office as he like comes around the corner and he like sees that his desk chair is a little bit out of place, asks the computer where Kira is and she is no longer on the station. Like she gone. If you had any doubts about how hardcore Major Kira is, (laughs) Kira saw a close friend use a transporter and then get burned to a crisp she, the same day, uses site-to-site transport in order to accomplish her mission here. Yeah. Like, the the Latha Mabron incident did not discourage her use. <laughs> That's for sure. And she's gone, gone. Like, they, they try to, like, scan for the, the warp signature of the runabout she took, and, and uh, she has scrambled the pattern. Yeah. And we catch up with her, and she's, like, at some planet, you know, on the Cardassian frontier... And uh, she's uh, she's down to name four on the list. This is Salarin Prin that she's looking into. Presumably, she's killed three people already. <laughs> 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 but uh, this is this is a real dumpy like SETI Alpha Five in SETI Alpha Six's orbit type of planet. Yeah, sure is. And uh, she she puts down in this uh, in this outpost. She's got a phaser and a tricorder, and she is uh, she's looking for Solar and Prin, and this is this has real like haunted house vibes where we see a Cardassian lurking in the shadows. We see a a a burned and mangled hand. A we see hol- a Holodassian. <laughs> a Holodassian comes out. She she uh, vaporizes that, but then. Uh, then she is incapacitated by Solar and Prin. And uh, Solar and Prin asks, uh, is, is she a great big pregnant person? <laughs> <laughs> Gets her up on a chair, puts her in a in like a, a binder field of some, some kind, and says, it puts the, <laughs> puts the lotion in the basket. There is a feeling here that I want to interrogate with you, and that is... When a woman is immobilized by a man, there is an implied sexual violence on the table here. And I definitely felt that at this moment. Like, Hmm. there was fear for Kira on a lot of levels. But that was... That was part of it. Yeah. In a fucked up way. Yeah, the way the... Like, the the chair that is selected feels very like gynecological examy. Right. It's the, it's the posture of the chair. I think that that makes that happen. Yeah. I think that that's an unfortunate element of this, of this scene. Yeah. Cause, cause this is supposed to be about a, you know, a re- resistance fighter and her former colonizer coming into conflict. And the fact that it has some, has some like male sexual violence overtones is yeah. I, I think complicates it in the wrong way. Prin is doing that thing that bad guys do, which is which is rant. 
rant very poetically and academically even. And he's kind of nuts, right? Like he doesn't. Yeah. Obviously, obviously he's he's nuts and got an axe to grind, but he's also not in his right mind just in general. Yeah. And it takes Kira a while to sort of get like have him get to the point. She doesn't really understand what his deal is. Right. The police around here don't seem to have the first clue. Prin finally confesses that he's pissed about who Kira has killed. He's pissed that Kira shows no regret for what she's done. Uh, and he's pissed, maybe most of all, for what she's done to his face. Because he reveals a real phantom of the opera face as he steps into the light. And then tells his story. A story that goes like, uh, he used to work for a gull cleaning his uniforms yeah he was like a dry he was just cleaner. a civilian yeah and uh and he was the target this gull was the target of the shikar resistance and prim was collateral damage he makes the case that he was as a non-combatant his conscience is clean on the like on the on the fact that the cardassians were occupying bajor and she's coming back at him with like if you were on bajor you were a legitimate target. Like you didn't, your whole species shouldn't have been there. Like we, we were occupied for 50 years. Yeah. And he just doesn't see it that way. Like he can't wrap his mind around the idea that, that any participation in that at all was an injustice. Here's the thing. If you're, whether you're a press secretary or a dry cleaner, you're complicit. Right. If you're part of the administration, that is the occupier. That is that is the one doing all of the bad things. Right. Like, you don't get to wear a neon green salsa outfit and your crimes are are commuted. No. Morn. 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 Dear sweet. Morn. 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 You hear everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. It doesn't take long before he pivots into the idea of murdering Kira, but separating the child from her first in order to raise it raise right. it as his own and with his set of values and he like he wheels a cart around with surgical equipment and prepares for a non-consensual c-section she's making the case like you don't know this this baby is not mine it's a human baby it doesn't have like you're not you're not going to know what to do with it it's uh this is not a crime you're committing against me it's against somebody else but also then please give me some sedative don't be don't be that cruel and that's persuasive to him like he he thinks of himself as being on the moral high ground and so he's going to stay on the moral high ground by administering a sedative to her and he does and then turns off the the binder field and uh, what we've established earlier in the episode is that those bay leaves that Kira has to take uh, for her estrogen levels has a uh, counteractive effect on sedatives. So the general anesthetic that he has given her doesn't work, Adam. No, and she commences with the ass kicking. Lauren Prin gets his ass handed to him. She phasers him. She, she's, she's got the phaser set on like chest puncture wound. Right, <laughs> which uh, I feel like you could uh, you could stun and imprison, but uh, but she but she sets to kill. You know, th- 
It's an interesting point because I bet you they thought a lot about the possible outcome here and what Kira d- would or would not do. Like, I bet there, I mean, I bet there was an idea on the table where where Kira shoots him until she runs out of ammo, like right. over and over again, or she stuns him with the idea of taking him to prison later. I think there's a spectrum of outcomes here that that I think you could make the case for. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, maybe one of the weakest parts of the episode is that Kira stole a runabout and went and killed somebody and there are no consequences or any discussion of like repercussions that would fall on her for having kind of extrajudicially done this. Right. But also the fact that it was a kill and not a stun. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think that like, I, I understand why she does it on a, on a human level very much, but I don't understand why, Everybody reacts like, wow, that was intense. Well, back to work. <laughs> you know. On a human level, Ben, I wish you could hear yourself. The very name is racist. <laughs> ben, the button on the episode does not illuminate this any further because Odo, Bashir, and Cisco beam down to find Kira. They find her squatting next to the body. And it's Kira describing what happened, the circumstances that made it possible for her to save herself and her unborn baby. And there is no, I mean, they don't, Odo and Bashir and Cisco are there to listen. Right. They're not there to make her feel bad for what she's done. Yeah. Even though they probably have cause to do so. And that is really how abrupt the episode ends. Right. You're asking a lot of questions that there just isn't time to ask or answer at the end because as soon as we realize that she's okay and that the little D is in orbit, that's when the episode's over. She seems a little crazed to me. Like the way she's talking very much mimics what Prin was talking like. The light only shines in the dark and sometimes innocence is just an excuse for the guilty. It feels very much like this isn't the time or the place to ask those questions. Well, I'll ask a different question then, Adam. Mm. Did you like the episode? I think this episode does a couple of things. It, I've been missing Nana Visitor a lot lately. I think she's been written out of the episodes in season five for obvious reasons, like her pregnancy is a factor. Right. And I get that. It doesn't make me miss her any less. Yeah. Well, but she she had the baby already, right? So now she's yeah. acting in in pregnancy suit. What this episode made me understand now maybe more than at any other point is just how you can't overuse her. Nana Visitor is too powerful to deploy in your story all the time. She's and this the is a nuclear episode, option. I think this episode is the reason why. Like, she takes over the episode and is so good that I think she could easily be the star of Deep Space Nine, like the biggest star of it, if she were in more A stories. Hmm. And I think she's just, I think the order of importance of the characters is such that, like, they, they just can't do that. Right. She's so great. She's too great, even. And this episode is an example why. It's, I mean, whether or not it makes a great episode almost 
doesn't matter to me. It's such a great Nanavisa tour performance that like, yeah, I'm here for it. Great episode just because of that for no other reason. I think it's also a great Brian Fuller performance for a lot of the same reasons. Like it's, it, it does feel like a young writer who maybe isn't like in full control of his talents yet, Mm. but it, it comes out swinging. It's like operatic in scope and, and really feels like intense and great. And, and like a, uh, you know, like it, it, it's an episode that forecasts big things for this series. If you're a writer that wants to make the leap and you want to give the episode you've written the best chance to get made and to be seen as quality, giving a Navisa tour that monologue in the middle is giving yourself the best chance that you can get. Mm-hmm. Like that's very smart. So Agreed. yeah, I agree. Do you want to see if we have any priority one messages, Adam? Let's see if they are as well-written as a Brian Fuller script. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Lauren. It is for Gina. Mm. The message goes like this. Happy 20th anniversary, Gina. Whoa. To others, you may be just another Kevin Uxbridge creation. <laughs> but to me, you are my lovely wife bot of 20 years. Who knew that androids could create two kids too? I love you for sticking with me and for loving Trek as much as I do. Wow. Yeah. That's lovely. Congratulations, Lauren and Gina. Yeah. Good job, Lauren. Yeah. And and getting Gina, locking Gina up. Yeah. Long term. Sounds like a very lucky get. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, we have another P1 here. And it is from I, and that's capital I. And it is for I. That's lowercase I. Mm -hmm. And the message is one. And that's just the number one. Mm -hmm. Very skinny message. Yeah, it's just kind of a vertical line when I when I look at it in the <laughs> in the email. I mean, that leaves the 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 shortest possible message being being straight line up and down, right? Yeah, I because guess one has has a has has danglies. Right. One has serifs in a way that Well, this not in not in my email viewer, but but oh, I guess at the top it has a little yeah, I don't know what you call that. I don't know what what uh, Jonathan Heffler would refer to that little nubbin at the top of the one is. I think Jonathan Heffler would call it the hug, just like <laughs> just like we would. Yeah, the one dong. <laughs> yeah, wow, going for the record. Wow, good to see. Yeah, uh, a lot of interesting approaches to the most useless approach to burning a hundred dollars. <laughs> But if you'd like to uh, make an entry in that challenge, you go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, it's 100 bucks for a personal message and, a, and 200 bucks for a commercial message, and that's a great way to support the production of this program. The gauntlet's done been thrown. Gotta get that, get that gold press Am I right? 
Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it's definitely that security guard, the lieutenant that gets his ass kicked. <laughs> Who, like, 
here's the thing about uh, Lupaza and Pharrell is that they've got so much charisma that they can make you be okay with getting your ass kicked by them. Mm-hmm. Because when he comes to and they're like mincing words about about like they're they're explaining more than apologizing. <laughs> this lieutenant's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like goes to wait outside the quarters in such a way that's like, wow, that lieutenant, pretty forgiving. Probably also concussed. Yeah. Definitely my drunk Shimoda though. Yeah, should Nago continue his shift? Somebody right. should replace him for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. What about you, Ben? So, uh, same scene. The former cellmates of Major Kira, uh, they go in for a hug with <laughs> with her, and uh, and think that they can transmit code right behind her head by whispering to each other in a group hug. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, we know that Major Kira does not let a lot of shit pass under her nose like that. So, uh, I mean, they're just they're just talking about getting her that box of bay leaves or whatever. But right, but ridiculous that she wouldn't notice that. So for that reason, they are my drunk shimode. Lucky Kira doesn't kick their asses in that scene. Indeed, she has the capacity for it. Yeah, we don't talk about the fact that she got like phasered as a pregnant lady in this episode. Yeah, there's been a lot of. Uh... Eutarian trauma in this episode. There was her, her outside of O'Brien's quarters. Like she, she crumples into a heap there, and Bashir's like, Bashir talks about there being some damage to the uterus there, and then she's also shot later. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're told that that the O'Brien baby's okay, but wow, kind of going through a lot. Like she I think it's probably going to be okay for Kira to have a glass of wine every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. This, this baby's been through worse. True indeed. Uh, are we going to go through worse while watching the next episode, Ben? Why don't you tell us? That's a great question, Adam. The next episode is season five, episode 12, The Begoton. The Begoton? Mm. B-E-G-O-T-T-O-N. Begoton? The Begetten. Is that really the title of the episode? It seems fucked up. It's be- it's it's misspelled gotcha. on Amazon Prime. It's yeah. it's on IMDb. It's spelled the Begotten with an E. Yeah, that's how it should be spelled. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we make fun of the the episode capsules that Netflix writes, but misspelling the title of an episode is bananas. Anyways, the description is. While Kira gives birth, Odo raises an infant changeling. <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode, right? Yeah. Like, like a lighthearted episode? I think so. Odo's going to have a little Groot. <laughs> Do you want to uh, find out in what way we will be recording this episode, Adam? Gotta do that, Ben. We're legally obligated to consult Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets, where currently the runabout is on square 32. Uh, just ahead is the face of Philippa Louvois and the measure of a man episode. Oh, man. A couple, couple squares past that. It's Kinar with Damar. Hey, that'd be fun. Oh, a drunk episode. A, a, certain, a certain type of drunk episode. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Die in my hand. 
see what we get. Roll them bones. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ben, I rolled a five and it jumped us over both of them. Wow. We don't, we don't get to do it at all. We, we just do a regular episode. A regular episode, you say? That's fine. I'm into that. I'm into it too. I might. I'll just have a drink anyway. We've been the in the ball game. Buttholes machine. can't tell me what to do. <laughs> After that tub episode, it's all gravy. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like we deserve three normals in a row. Yeah, or indeed. more. But uh, but yeah, we could. There's still a Coco No No ahead. There's there's yeah. a lot that could happen. One thing we don't deserve is all the support we get from viewers who go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. You're right, Adam. We certainly don't deserve that. If you go to MaximumFun.org slash donate, uh, cancel your subscription to our show. We don't (laughs) deserve it, according to Adam. I'd rather you not. I'd rather (laughs) you double down. It's, It's almost the middle of, like, it's like the half birthday. It's like half Max Fun Drive right now. Oh, yeah. If you've been listening to the show and and you're new and you haven't been through a drive, why don't you consider supporting the show by going to maximumfund.org/donate? Yeah, that would be really great. There's a, uh, you know, there's prizes during Max Fund Drive, but there are also prizes uh, in the off season. There are, uh, I think there's like t-shirts and and hats and stuff. I don't know what are they. <laughs> you want to know what the greatest prize of all is? It's the feeling of supporting a great show like ours. Yeah, and there's bonus episodes no matter what, right? Yeah, we got yeah, a, a lot of them. A ton of bonus episodes for this show, and uh, and you don't just get this show; you get Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire, and all of the shows on Maximum Fun have bonus episodes, and they could be yours for the it's low, a great low price deal. of five dollars a month. Come on, five bucks a month? Give me a break! You've got that viewer. Yeah, that's, you're not going to miss that. No, but it makes a big difference to us. It does. Uh, you know what else makes a big difference to us is the uh, hilarious trading cards that our friend Bill Tilly makes. He puts them up on Twitter at his account, BillTilly1973. And uh, he uses the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam is on Twitter at CutForTime. I'm on there at BenjaminAHR. Uh, we and all the friends of DeSoto would love to joke around and have a good time with you uh there are facebook and reddit subs there's the wikia if you if you hear a running a running joke on the show and would like to look into its origins the wikia probably has you covered probably also got you covered for all of the drunk shimodas that we pick each each app etc etc great resource i was gonna say something profound and i lost the thread well, I'll say something profound then. Our buddy Adam Ragusia made an amazing remix of Dark Materia's Picard song for this show. He makes a lot of uh, original music for us. We love him. We'd love if you check out his YouTube channel where he cooks delicious food at home and shows you how to do it. And uh, I made the macaroni and cheese that Adam Ragusia uh, did an, a video on recently, and it was banging. Bangin'. Ben, Greatest Gen is touring in October and November, and you can find out what dates and where by going to greatestgentour.com. Come out and see us live. It is really fun to to come to a live show. We always have a blast, and the shows are joke-dense and fun. 
It's like a uh, a native comedy with your favorite Star Trek podcast. And uh, right. it's really worth doing, I think. <laughs> it is worth doing. It's worth it for us to do. Yeah. We it's worth it. it for you to come. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. An episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's like, it's not three men and a baby as much as it's a changeling, a Kira, and and two babies of their own. And also, I guess the O'Briens are involved, so it's the O'Briens and Kira are parents, but also Odo's a parent. So there's like five parents and two babies between them. That's what's going on here. Wow. It's very confusing. <laughs> They're going to go out on baby dates. They're going to watch each other's kids while while they go out for dinner. Yeah. You know they got to do that. Fuck. Yeah. This is some it, shit. The O'Briens are going to have to like invite Keiko's mom over like for grandparent time. Definitely. It's going to be awkward. There's going to be baby showers. You got to have those. Mm. What do you give a changeling baby as a gift? Mm. The onesies are going to be out of control. Oh, yeah. Like, do you... Do you pick, like, do the changeling parents know if it's a boy or a girl? Or does the, like, I mean, I guess parents don't even really know if it's a boy or a girl. Uh, <laughs> even if they're not a changeling these days, so. I'm registered at Bed Bath and & Beyond. And <laughs> believe me, the Beyond is apt. Stop trying to shove my gold baby into a gender box. <laughs> my gold yeah. baby will decide what it is Odo's gender reveal is just like a cloud of golden glitter <laughs> it's a and changeling fuck, <laughs> fuck you it's none of your business <laughs> MaximumFun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported